0: all beginnings are hard all beginnings are hard that's the opening line to a book from one of my very favorite authors named Kayam Potok all beginnings are hard and I found that to be true Uh, here at the uh, beginning of this fall uh, some students who are moving and coming into our area and going to a new school you'll find beginnings have some challenges some people moving into our community Coming for the first time to Lake Avenue Church, looking around you at these interesting people. Beginnings are hard. And I have found that sometimes beginning a new sermon series is particularly challenging. And this one I have found to be especially hard. We are starting in the Gospel of Mark together. We'll be in it for a good while. And the reason why it's a little bit more challenging for me than others, I think. I don't know if you know this. I spent three to four years of my life where it was almost the only book of the Bible for me. I did my dissertation at Marquette University in the Gospel of of Mark. And I, I wrote 324 pages about one little teeny topic in the Gospel of Mark. And now it's 29 years later, 29 years later, and I've almost never preached from it. I've never done a series through it. And as I've been reading it through all this summer, so many thoughts came into my mind. Mostly I just thought many of the things my professors wanted to hear. I know that none of you have any interest in it at all. And Lord, what is it that you would have us to hear from you from this great, great passage? So with this beginning, you know, I, I decided I'd begin where I'm sure all of you expected Pastor Greg will start. I'm sure he'll do this. I thought I would start by showing us a little video clip of Pablo Picasso painting a picture. Didn't you expect that? Let's take just a few moments and look at it. I'll talk us through it as it goes. Oh, what is he painting? Squiggles. A child could do that, right? Oh, oh, oh. Flowers, you think? Oh, my. Fish? Yeah, that must be what it is. Must be a a fish. We've sped him up. You can see that. (laughs) Yeah, that's sure. That's a it's a it's a fish. Don't you think? Oh, what's that? What? Ah, it's not a fish at all. A Turkey, or a, I thought it was a hen or something I Just want you to know we're going to be stopping here in just a moment that this goes on it goes on uh, I, I wanted to show you this video clip of a great artist. Zach you can shut that off at this point <laughs> of this uh, great artist at work because You see, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's making, right? And yet, as we watch that, we don't know what he's doing. Sometimes it looks like something a child could do. Sometimes it doesn't look very good at all. And and the ending is so different from what we could ever have expected. And, of course, Picasso's painting brings us straight to the Gospel of Mark, right? Chapter 1, verse 1, in which we see... God portrayed, as he often is in the Bible, as one who makes things. God is a great artist. Have you ever thought about that, that the very first time we're introduced to God in Genesis chapter 1, he is portrayed as a great artist, bringing things into being, that when he is done in Genesis 2, it's, it's very good. Now I want you to know, as we come to the Gospel of Mark, We see it starting just as Genesis did. Same word, beginning. When we read it, God is going to start something new. And sometimes we don't know what he's going to be doing. But I want us to assure us that the title of this sermon series is going to be right. That when he's done, all will be made right. And when we look at things in our world that are simply wrong that are in our lives, we will be able to say... This, too, shall be made right. Now, now the big difference between the first creation and this new artistic work is that when God started, he created uh, ex nihilo, out of nothing. Now, in the new work that God is doing, starting with Mark, chapter 1, verse 1, he is going to start with some stuff that's already become messed up, brittle, sometimes quite ugly, but... The Apostle Paul will say in Ephesians chapter 2.10 that what he's doing now is his great masterpiece, his great work of art. And so we're going to see how he begins. It's an opening title verse, chapter 1, verse 1, in which simply as we open it up, this is what Mark says about this book he will write. The beginning of the good news about Jesus. The Messiah the Son of God all beginnings are hard God is starting a new beginning so I thought that as we start this new beginning in this series maybe one of the very best things that I could do is simply allow God's beginning to lead us what do you think just word by word as we look at that opening verse of the gospel of Mark you ready to look at it with me word number one the beginning again it's not the only book of the Bible that starts this way, right? Genesis starts this way. Uh, actually, John, the Gospel of John will start that way, too. Uh, in the beginning. So in the beginning, God created a world. So you see what's going to happen here in Mark chapter one, verse one. It's declaring to us that God is about to that launch a new beginning. Uh, the Bible is saying to us, listen, a new divine creation is at hand. And uh, back in the first century, when that was written, for especially the Jewish readers, knowing what was there in that first line, first word of the first book of Moses, you can imagine that when they would see this, they are thrilled. God is going to start something new. Now, here's what I want you to notice today. Um, the entire book is the beginning. It, the title, the beginning. So we, the thing that God is going to do doesn't really begin until we get to the end of the book. The book which you know what it made me do, scurry to the end of the book. And for reasons that I'm not going to go over now, but sometime in this series I will go over, I am quite convinced that the original ending of Mark's book was Mark chapter 16, 1 through 8. So as I go back there and I start reading it in Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, and then I pull back to the few verses in front of it, this new beginning doesn't look all that good. In fact, this thing that God is doing looks bad. The Jesus, the very source of the beginning, has died. He's been betrayed by his closest followers. Uh, They had abandoned him. And now, even though he's raised from the dead, and, and, and a young man dressed in a white robe tells these three women who go to the tomb, he is risen, they don't really believe it. And so here, I put it up here just for you to see it because it's the way the gospel... He originally ended this gospel, I am quite convinced. Here's what Mark would write. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. End of the book. What do you think? I'll tell you, Would you read this, You wonder whether anybody's going to hear about the resurrection at all. Whether this thing that should have been a beginning of God starting a new work really is going to be an ending. And nobody will ever find out that Jesus has raised from the dead. Now, I I come and ask you, brothers and sisters, coming here, 21st century, Pasadena, California. uh, Did anybody ever hear about Jesus being raised from the dead? The answer is not hard. This is not difficult. Did anybody ever hear about it? Yes. How do we know? Because it got to us, and it declares to us something so powerful about these gospels in the New Testament that they are not fiction. not creating a story that's just suddenly over. This would be really a good postmodern story, just to end it with, "Will anybody ever find out? This is historic narrative. We know that they overcame this fear, a fear that you and I often share about telling people about Jesus and who He is and what He's done. They overcame that fear. They carried, they carried the message out first to the disciples, and now it's made it all the way here to us in Pasadena, California. It, it looked like it looked like an ending. But the Bible is declaring to us that what looks to us like an ending is a beginning. the eyes of God and already my brothers and sisters there's something I want us to grab hold of and never to forget it's the reason why I wanted to show that Picasso painting because sometimes when the great artist knows what he's doing is engaged in doing it we can't see it It, sometimes it even looks ugly makes no sense to us and the question that will always come back to us is do I trust that God knows what he's doing The Bible is declaring to us, the Gospel of Mark is declaring to us up front, God knows what he is doing. And when he is done, it is going to be a great masterpiece. So already there's something I want you to grab hold of here. I think I've written it here so you can look at it. What may look like an ending in human eyes is often a new beginning in the eyes of God. Do you think that's true? What may look like an ending in our lives... A loss of a job, failure in school, challenging relationship, seems like an ending. Nothing good can come out of this. What looks like an ending in human eyes is so often a new beginning in the eyes of God. He sends us into places we otherwise would never have gone. I'll tell you, one of the persons in the Bible who surely would have known about that would have been the Apostle Peter. Um, Early Christians were unanimous in feeling that the source of information of Mark's gospel was Peter himself. It's often called Peter's gospel. I think they're right. And and Peter, of all people, would know that there would be times in our lives that look like endings because he had failed. Right? You know that story, don't you? He had betrayed Jesus. He had said he wouldn't. These other guys might. I won't. But he did. So feeling like a failure, he would think, there's no longer any way that God will ever use me. For him, it felt like an ending, and yet it wasn't an ending. Jesus doesn't discard us. He steps in and takes what we are, and he won't leave us where we are, but begins to remake us. And I think when Paul, uh, Peter wrote his first letter, First Peter, he wanted to make sure that we knew this. Do you remember when we studied this as a church? He said that we live in a dying world, but yes, now God has given us a new birth into a living hope that nothing in this world can take away. He wanted us to know that with God, He doesn't discard us. And what feel like endings in the eyes of people in the world when we turn them back over to God are oftentimes of new beginnings. Any, any amens? The beginning. The beginning. God is, has started something. It's not even done yet. When we get to the end of the gospel... The cross is the place where something really has started. And then the resurrection, it's the beginning. Now, what is it? Phrase number two, good news. Good news. Uh, The the word is is euangelion. We often use it for um, um, evangelism. But in this context especially, I think the main use of this word, the beginning of good news, is that word was so often used for a king who had gone into a very difficult setting where an enemy had been destroying things. And uses all of his resources to declare a victory. So so what it's saying is, what's beginning here is going to be a great victory from God. Uh, A new king is coming into this world. (laughs) And in this world, there needs to be a victory that's declared. It's the beginning of good news that God is going to bring about a victory. Now, why is it important to use that word? Why do we need a victory? Anybody think we need some victories in the world? And I I jotted down two reasons. See what you think of them. Uh, The first reason a victory, of good news, needs to happen is that there is a lot of bad news in the midst of what was originally very good. That's a long sentence. But I think we understand what it means, right? We look at this world, when God finished it in Genesis 2, it was very good. We look at the world now, there's a lot of bad news here. And, and God says, I don't discard these things. I'm going to step back in and, and remake it. And when Jesus came into this world, he consistently confronted those things that were bad news in a world that he loved and in the lives of people that he loved. Uh, Gospel of Mark is going to bring it up over and over again. We'll see it through our times there. What kind of bad news did Jesus confront and see in the world that he, he was in? I jotted down just some of them. He came and saw that in this world that had been made through him, it was filled with a personal evil power called Satan and his minions, wreaking havoc, devouring people. He saw that people made in his image had lives that were affected by sickness, and by poverty, and by injustice, by disabilities of all sorts. He saw a world where chaos had been brought to order, filled with natural disasters, seas that were no longer controllable. And and this past week, I started thinking about this, as again the tropical winds and storms and hurricane-like forces came sweeping once again through the Gulf. Didn't you agonize? This world, there are some things in this world That simply are out of order. And Jesus saw them. He saw how authority. That God had given to people. To rule over this world. And to care for this world. Was being abused. He saw that even in places. That would name Jehovah God as God. That legalism had set in. Like a straitjacket. Keeping people from joy. He saw how political powers. Were using their authority. Not to bring benefit to people. But to abuse those under them. He saw that. The possessions, things that he had made, money and homes and things, had been moved into the place of God in people's lives. He saw in the midst of this world that he made people to live death and dying. I'm just telling you, when Jesus came into this world, as he was going to start a masterpiece, the raw material that he was going to start with needed a whole lot of cleanup work, don't you think? And so now, brothers and sisters, as we look at the world that we're in, we still see that there's a lot of bad news in the world. I mean, you can take out a sheet of paper and just start writing it out. The bad news that is all around us. There is still a victory of God that needs to be declared until the goodness and justice of God is seen in our world. That's why good news had to be declared. Now, there's another reason why I think that that this word is there, the beginning of good news. And it's because for good news to happen... There has to be a victory declared over real enemies in this world to the rule of God. Did you know that there are real enemies that have not yet been absolutely destroyed? Not yet. That are enemies to, the, to God's goodness, to his rule, being furthered in this world. What kind of enemies? The Bible will summarize them in, in various ways, but especially with three words. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Three three big enemies. you got to be aware of them. They need to be defeated. You know what they mean? The world. Basically, all the systems and values and sort of patterns of life that have been established. After centuries and centuries of people living for themselves and living sinfully, it's affected everything in our world. It's affected our families. It's affected our nations. It's affected everything. So that as we come into this world, the very things that our world often values are the opposite of what God values. And the Apostle Paul will warn us about this. This is one of the enemies that, is, that still is thriving in our world. He says, so don't be conformed to it. Romans chapter 12, you know the verse, don't you? Don't be conformed to the patterns that are in this world, to the value systems and ways of this world. Now, uh, my mom was a very outspoken person. And uh, sometimes I would come home and say, Mom, I want to go to this event. And everybody else at church uh, at at the school is going to it. And she would sometimes say, well, that may be the very reason why you shouldn't. I hated that. I I just hated that because it was indicated she was indicating to me that the things that most people value may not be good things simply because everybody thinks that's that's good. That doesn't mean that it is because the ways of the world often stand counter to the, the values of God. Do you see that? It's an enemy. How, how are we going to begin to think God's way? When almost everything that we experience in the world around us is trying to shape us into another way of thinking without God. Oh, it's a, this, is a, this is a struggle. But it's, but it's not just the world. It's also, the Bible says, the flesh. which just have to, It's talking about us. Now this speaks against something. Sometimes we'll say, oh, yeah, there's a lot of bad news in this world. And it's only because my parents and grandparents and great-great-grandparents. And it's it's, it's always just the politicians. It's always the world out there. And, And the Bible says yes. But it also turns to us and says, wait a minute. You also are complicit. You and I also have this trap that we put ourselves into the center of our lives rather than God. And that leads us astray and everybody else astray. You know, the Apostle Paul would talk about that in Ephesians 2. He would say that when things are wrong in our lives, it's not just the world out there. No, he would say all of us lived gratifying the sinful cravings of our flesh and following our own desires and cravings. So I, I just want to say that this uh, sort of American tendency to always be like, well, if things are bad and if I do something wrong, I'm just a I'm just a victim of the world that I'm in. The Bible says, yes. There are real enemies out there in the world, but also there are inclinations you and I have that are often so misguided. We don't even know how to get them straight. And, and then third enemy is, is the devil. And I will have to bring that up as well because throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus consistently is going to have to encounter real personal evil forces. And I don't want us here at Lake Avenue Church to have such a small worldview that we don't know that there are spiritual realities in the world God has put us in. There are, uh, even though we try to hide them with our intellectualism, there, there are real enemies. And so I declare to you, do you see the point here? There is a victory that needs to be declared over these enemies. We need some good news in the midst of all the bad news. And you see, Mark opens up his entire gospel by saying, it's beginning. It. beginning? What's beginning? Is going to be brought to completion because the God who is beginning it is that kind of God. He doesn't do things halfway. It's the beginning of good news that's going to be accomplished. And I just got to say this does this feel overly theological or conceptual to to you? This is so deeply personal. This is so deeply personal. Because there are, I just know this is true. All of us know there are things in our own lives that are also not yet right. I know that sometimes we come to church and we've been here so many times before. We're going to take communion. The last time we took communion, we committed something to God. And here we come back again. And some of those things we committed, we've taken them back up again. I I won't ask you to vote if any of you have done that right now, but it, it should be unanimous. I mean, this is a very personal thing we we see the bad news within us we see the sin within us the selfishness within us you and i need a victory to be declared we need forgiveness for what we've done but we need good news that tomorrow's going to be different from yesterday and who on earth can possibly do something like that who can bring this kind of good news it's the beginning of good news about do you have your Bible in front of you? About Jesus. All right. When you and I think about what the gospel is, what do we often think? Don't we often think, oh, that means that I can confess my sins and he will forgive my sins when I ask Jesus to be my Savior. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, that's good news, right? Isn't that good? Anybody else agree with me? That's good news. (laughs) But I just want you to know the good news is bigger than that. Because it isn't all that great a news if I just get to forgive my past and then today I go and engage in it again. I've got to be set free. I need need some victories. And the good news is more than just that. Sometimes we think that the good news is just having the pamphlet or the old gospel tract where we read certain things, and and, and all of that, I'll just tell you, there is good news that is there. I just want you to know, though, and sometimes, I'll just add this too, uh, especially when I deal with seminary settings, the good news has been shoved over just to the social scene, and that the good news is that we're going to have a world without poverty, and without all the injustices in our world. I'll tell you, that's good news too. But that's not the whole of the good news. The good news is about, anybody want to just, Jesus, who he is, what he has done, and at the end of the day, the good news is what he is going to accomplish. The good news is that he knows everything about us and loves us with an everlasting love. The good news is he is ready to come into our lives and bear the punishment for our sins, so that we don't have to. Uh, the good news is that he is going to give his spirit to us. And he is going to work in us until we are remade. The good news is that Jesus is going to make all things right. All things right. And I think one of the best parts of it is when I read the book of Revelation. And it tells me that everything is going to be new and everything, this masterpiece is going to be done. Everything right. I keep thinking and I get to be a part of it. See, he's going to make me right, too. Seems impossible, doesn't it? And and the good news is for you as well. And so Mark wants to say that it is good news about Jesus. So we're going to think about Jesus for a long time here at Lake Avenue Church. And he tells us two words just to give us a basic uh, description of who Jesus is. He is one Messiah, two Son of God. It's good news about Jesus, number one, Messiah. Now, I don't know what your version says. Most of them will say Christ. And do you know what that is? That's just the Greek word Christos for the Hebrew word for Messiah, the anointed one. I know that most people think that Jesus Christ is the whole name of Jesus, that Christ is his family name. So it's Jesus and Mr. Christ. Uh, I know people think that. Did you think? Well, you don't have to tell me it's not it's a description of who he is and it takes us back into the old testament and all the expectations that the people of israel had and the basic one was this that through the line of david a messiah was going to come who would make everything right what i've been talking about that's what this word is saying that god hadn't given up on the world from genesis 3 on he was preparing a people through whom a messiah would come and when he's done with this work everything will be made new no more death No more war, no more sin, no more selfishness in our lives. That's what the Messiah was to do. Now, by the time Jesus came, uh, the people of Israel did what we so often do. They had, uh, they'd really messed up their understanding of what the Messiah was. They'd minimize it. They'd, one, said it's just for Israel, when really it's supposed to be for the whole world. Number two, they just saw it as a political victory. That's all. And especially over this one nation of Rome. And God's going to do something much bigger than that. <laughs> He's going to do something. And, and, and three, they had utterly missed the suffering part. And the gospels have to take that up. The first suffering had to happen before everything is going to be made right. So they hadn't seen any of that. So even even in the Gospel of Mark, you're going to see it. Whenever people are going to go back among the people of Israel, Jesus will say, "Don't tell them that I'm the Messiah. They won't understand who I am." But He still was that. And and Mark declares it, and we know it now. He was the Messiah. And number two, who is going to have the power to make everything right? He's the Son of God. And in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to see Jesus doing what only God can do. He forgives sins. Only God can do that. He raises the dead. He creates food. He does what only God can do. Now, when we read that, we know who he is. We know who he is. And then we read through the rest of the Gospel of Mark. And a voice from heaven knows who he is. This is my beloved son. I'm well pleased in him, the Father will declare. And even the demons know who Jesus is. You are the Holy One, uh, of his, uh, the Messiah that's been accepted. They'll know who he is. But I'm telling you, the human beings in Mark's Gospel are as dense as rocks. Um, Even the disciples they see him doing what only God can do they hear his teaching that nobody else teaches like this and and they just don't even They don't see who he is at all and we can become so critical of them Until we begin to see ourselves in them That we have heard so much And yet sometimes we still somehow don't internalize That jesus is the one who makes things right in our lives and in the world And he is the son of god the one who alone is worthy of our praise. The one who alone can confront the powers of this world. As we read the Gospel of Mark, we have to ask the question when he says, a new kingdom is coming, I'm here among you. Will this new king have the power to make everything right? Will he have the will to make everything right? I'll just give you a foreshadowing. He has the power and he has the will. See, reading the Gospel of Mark, and I hope that all of us will read it through through this fall. Reading the Gospel of Mark for me is a little bit like reading um, Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. You know, at the very beginning, we know who killed the pawnbroker. It was Rodion Roskelnikov. He killed the pawnbroker. We know it early on. And then the whole thing plays out. Will anybody else figure it out? And how will this affect him? How will it affect everything? You and I read this, the Gospel of Mark from the opening line. We know exactly who Jesus is. And then we read through the rest and wonder whether anybody else is going to figure it out. And, and, and when we see him saying to people, what you have to do in the light of my coming is respond to it by repenting from the ways of the world and your own flesh, believing that I am who I say I am and following me. We wonder whether anybody ever will. But it really is putting a mirror up to us, isn't it? Will we turn from our ways in the ways of the world? Will we believe that Jesus is who he says he is? And will we follow him wherever he leads us. For Jesus, the gospel is about Jesus, is the only one worthy of having our lives to be conformed to. The beginning of good news. It's about Jesus. Who is he? He is the Messiah. And he is the Son of God. We're going to be going to communion in a moment. I want you to consider a statement that I want to make to you. I want you to think about this. I think that the beginning of things being made right in any area of your life begins with surrendering in faith to Jesus. All right, you see all these things that are wrong in you and around you. I think that the beginning for anything to be made right is surrendering in faith to the rule of Jesus. Now, you're with me when I say that. Um, I'm not giving you a simplistic cliche here. Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to say that the starting point, the foundational point for anything being made right in our lives is Jesus. And I'm not saying that if you say, "Okay," then I'll believe and follow Jesus today that you will never be tempted to be selfish again. That you will never be lust-filled again. That you'll never get angry again. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that immediately uh, you'll no longer need to use what God created like medicine uh, in terms of the physical pain or sickness that you have. And I'm not saying that it's just sort of believe in Jesus and you won't need uh, you won't need any counselors to help you to think through how to change patterns of your life and you won't need a community of faith which you learn how to walk with God I'm not I am not saying that I'm saying those are a part of what God gives us to complete his work in us but you can do all of those things and if Jesus has not come into the center of your life there will be of no avail the beginning point of anything being made right is bringing Jesus into the center of your life. Oh, I, I think I've told you this. I had I had a uh, two and a half years, every Wednesday morning, I had a Bible study with uh, 12 physicians, MDs. And uh, one of them picked me up in Arroyo Grande, and we drive to San Luis Obispo. He had five beautiful blonde daughters, didn't he, Chris? And one of them, or all of them, were always in trouble. So he'd pick me up, and he would start talking about one of them all the way up to San Luis Obispo. We had the Bible study, and then all the way back, he would talk about one of them again. And then his last statement, every time I'd get out of the car, his last statement would always be, well, we know this, Greg, that the bottom line is that Jesus isn't the Lord of her life. I'm sure he had said that to his daughters a thousand times, and it drove them crazy. I'm just sure of it, but he was right. He was right. And I just want you to know that the beginning point of things being made right, of having someone to trust until they are made right, of having someone to follow until they're made right, is Jesus. I want you to think about those things in your life and in our world that you say, well, that's not right. Because another thing we're going to see all through the study is that as he makes us his disciples, while we're in the making, he sends us out to make disciples. Have you ever thought about that? Well, I'm still an imperfect one being made. Disciples being made, going out making disciples. That's God's plan. Uh, so I want you to think about those things in your own life and your family and those around. I want you to begin to pray that somehow you'd be able to bring the good news about Jesus. First of all, into the center of your own being in new ways. And that that you will not be like the women at the tomb. Who will be fearful and trembling and saying nothing to anyone because you're afraid. We have good news. Hallelujah. It's about Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Now we're going to be coming to the Lord's table. Um, Our stewards can go ahead and come and our musicians come as we get ready I've thought about this series and as I thought about showing you Picasso's painting a picture at the beginning I keep being told by people who make things by artists that it's much easier to make something out of scratch Than it is to take something that's already there and old and and try to recreate that into something beautiful anybody agree with me? Some people have even told me that as a pastor. Greg, it would be easier to start a new church rather than going into a 117-year-old church. And just think about us. Wouldn't wouldn't it be easy if God just kind of wiped us out and started all over? Because you know what happens to us? We we become dirty and and brittle and, and stubborn. We're not easy to remake I've thought about the creation. Genesis 1, it seemed, it wasn't easy, but it seemed easy. He spoke and it came. <laughs> he spoke and it happened. Let there be light, light appeared. But this new creation, He had to come. Philippians chapter 2, the sinless one from heaven into this sin-filled world, He came. He had to take on human flesh. More than that, He had to die in our place. This new creation, the remaking of brittle, dirty, stubborn things is hard. But somehow in the value system of God, we're worth it. What I see at the cross that we're going to remember now is the ultimate picture of a suffering artist. Jesus, the one through whom all was made in Genesis 1. The one through whom all is being remade. Saying that what it's going to take for your redemption is that I must die in your place. And in his last supper, telling us never to forget it so that we will never forget the depth of his love for us and the fact that we are matters of God's grace and mercy. So we're going to do what he told us to do today. We're going to come to the table of grace. Um, Visitors, and I saw there are a lot of you here. This is the Lord's table. So if the Lord Jesus is the one you want to have as the Lord of your life, I want you to come. I want us to remember what Jesus said. Until I come back again, when you gather in my name, uh, first uh, take the bread and break it. It's it's going to be that unforgettable demonstration of the fact that I was willing to come and become physical, but also to allow my body to be broken and given. Out of love for you, and when you take that cup, I want you to remember the cost of your salvation. My blood poured out for your redemption. Here's what we will do. I'll ask you to come from wherever you are. I think we have tables in the middle. I see them there. I, I think we have some also up in in the balcony area. As you are ready, come. Take the elements, uh, the bread. Take them back to your. Uh, Place of sitting if you cannot come our stewards are going to be here alert and ready to bring The elements out to you and when we all have received i'll come back up and we, we will take together And in doing so say thank you lord For this great new creation That you have begun Let us pray father We will remember what it has cost it is with the precious blood of jesus That we have found hope. We will do what the Lord Jesus told us to do. As we gather we will remember. By receiving these elements together. As we have this time father. We open our eyes to see parts of our lives. That are still not pleasing to you. We want to give them to you. Thank you for the forgiveness. Do your work of remaking. So that father when we are done with this time. And with our meeting together. Each one of us will be more beautiful than when we walked in. In the name of Jesus, amen. Come as you are ready.